0: before and you're wondering why only a couple songs, Um, we do sing more on the back end. Um, We believe that the Lord most often, most regularly, most clearly actually speaks to us through His Word um, as it's revealed in Scripture. And so we want to save a bulk of our worship um, for after the sermon so that we can worship in response to what the Lord has revealed about Himself, His character, His nature to us um, week in and week out. If you have a Bible, we'll be in the end of Luke 19, the beginning of of chapter 20 as well. We've been working through the Gospel of Luke for a year now. Um, We were out of it just last week for Easter, but this is where we've been week in and week out for for roughly a year. Um, And we're nearing the end. And so as you're turning to the end of 19, the beginning of 20, just a little bit of recap. Uh, Two weeks ago on Palm Sunday... We actually landed um, in the Palm Sunday text in Luke, and if you remember, Jesus is arriving into Jerusalem. Um, his disciples have procured a, a donkey for him that had never been ridden. People are laying down palm branches and coats. Right, he is being reminded and, and and called out as as king. Right, and as he enters into and is looking over Jerusalem, we have a moment where he weeps over the city. Right? Because he's saying, like, you're, you have missed your visitation. You have missed what I'm doing. And as they come in, and people are calling him king, and, and saying, Hosanna, like, God save us, that the Pharisees call out to him and say, hey, rebuke your followers. They're saying you're the Messiah, Like silence them. And Jesus says, if, if I tell them to be silent, the rocks themselves will cry out. And so we had seen that there was this building tension, um as Jesus has told his disciples over and over again Jerusalem is not going to go the way you think it's going to go. Um there's death involved in this, there's pain and there's suffering involved in this. And so we're going to see um the rising tension and the conflict. We're actually going to look at four kind of moments of tension and conflict this morning. And so let's pick up in verse 45 of Luke chapter 19. And he entered the temple And he began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple, and the chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. But they did not find anything that they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. And one day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel... "...the chief priests and the scribes of the elders came up, and they said to him, Tell us, by what authority do you do these things? Or who is it that gave you this authority? And he answered them, I'll ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he'll say, Why don't you believe him? But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death, for they're convinced that John was a prophet." And so they answered, that they didn't know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let out, and led it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. And when the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they could give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, and they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third, and this one they also wounded and cast out. The owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I'll send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him, and the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. And when they heard this, they said, Surely not! But he looked directly at them and said, What then is is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him." And the scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them. But they feared the people, And so they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere, that they might catch him in something he said, so as to deliver him to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. And so they asked him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, Show me a denarius whose likeness and inscription does it have? And they said, Caesar's. And he said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, to God the things that are God's. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said, but marveling at his answers, they became silent. Alright, so we, we have rising conflict, rising tension that Luke is, is really painting for us how we end up at the cross. Right, like, How does this end with violence? And we're, we're seeing this take place. And so I want us to walk through um, each of these. Look, in, in Luke 45, as he cleanses the temple, Luke does the briefest job um, of, of any of the gospel writers on this. Right, Others give far more detail. Luke is, is simple and brief and concise to the point that they drove out those who sold. Right? What was taking place was that folks were there selling animals, Um, for the necessary sacrifices. Others were there exchanging money. Um, It was required of a half of a shekel is what you were supposed to bring. And so if you had Roman or Greek coins, you would need someone to change that um, into a shekel for you. And so these necessary um, opportunities had arisen. But right when we give an inch, we often take a mile. And so things have gotten out of hand. And it has become this full commercial enterprise and what jesus does when he is quoting um, when he's in verse 46 saying it's written my house shall be a house of prayer you've made it a den of robbers he's quoting from two different old testament passages the first is isaiah 56 which says this in verse 7 and 8 i will bring to my holy mountain and i'll make them joyful in my house of prayer Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcast of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to Him beside those already gathered. Right? He's saying that there was this promise that there would be those who would come and they would gather to pray, make sacrifices to make much of God. And a second was from Jeremiah chapter 7. Verse 11, which says this, Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. Listen, all of Jeremiah 7 is kind of a... a com- he, it's the evil of the leadership of Israel. Right? You can look back at verse 4, where Jeremiah says, Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. And he goes on to say, for you, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you don't go after other gods to your own harm, basically saying all the things I've asked you to do, you haven't done them, but then you want to pretend at religion. And you want to make this a house of robbers instead of a house of prayer. And so here's the issue, right? The, The temple is laid out, and there's different places where different folks could go different levels, right? And so ultimately, the high priest was the only one in, who went into the Holy of Holies once a year. And then you start to work your way out where different people could go further and different people could go less far. And the court of the Gentiles, this kind of outer court here, is where the, the commercial activity is taking place. And so if we go back to Luke, or sorry, Isaiah 56 for just a moment, as we read verses 7 and 8, I want you to hear verse 6 and the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants everyone who keeps the sabbath and doesn't profane it and holds fast my covenant these i will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer and so what he's saying is the temple was always meant to be a place right where the nations could come and there was a place designated for them to make much of god And he says, and yet what you have done is you're in this place doing commercial business. You've made it a den of robbers instead of a house of prayer. And you are robbing the Gentiles of their opportunity. A Gentile being a non-Jew of their opportunity to know and worship God. It's like this is not the intent of this place. Listen to earlier in Isaiah in chapter 2. Beginning in verse 2. It shall come to pass in the latter days, that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that He may teach us His ways and that we may walk in His path. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem." Listen, the nations are not a new thing that Jesus is bringing in. He's saying this has always been the hope and the heart and the intent of God, that it was not just for Israel, but it was for the nations. It was for the world. And, he says, and so the place that they're supposed to be drawn to, to see and to hear and to know and to worship God, you're robbing them blind. And you're selling animals and you're exchanging money and they can't do what they were meant to do what we've told you should happen here. And so it's lost like the the weightiness, right? The gravitas to it. It is the absolute opposite of the intent that was meant for it. We've already seen throughout Luke that Jesus is drawing the non-Jew to himself, right? The Samaritan as he tells that parable, the leper who was a Samaritan. Right? If if we go back to chapter 2, Briefly, in verse 2, I'm sorry, uh, verse, uh, yes, this is Luke 2, um, as Simeon is praying, he says, Listen, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people. Israel, right? Then he's saying, listen, the point has been that Jesus is drawing all folks to himself, and now you have turned the temple into a place of business. And so they're embarrassed by this rebuke. Right? It's a call to repentance. Um, it's a call to, to, to stop what they're doing. And look at how they respond. And the chief priest in verse 47 and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. But they didn't find anything they could do, for the people were hanging on his word. And so we're beginning now to see a dichotomy between um, the, the leaders who are saying, hey, we've got to get rid of this dude, and the crowd who is saying, we want more of him. We want more of him. And so let's go into the next. Um, so one day, as Jesus, in verse 1 of chapter 20 was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, this same group, the chief priests, the scribes, with the elders came up and they said, tell us by what authority do you do these things? Right? They're basically saying, you don't have the credentials we believe you should have. You don't look like us. You don't talk like us. We want to know why you think you have the right to do these things, why you have the right to cleanse the temple. Why can you act like this? And so Jesus just immediately, like raises the stakes. Like we we just see him calm and and in control. And he says, "So tell me this. I'll ask you a question." Verse four: Was the baptism of John from heaven? Right? Was it from God or was it from man? And it, it's almost humorous if it wasn't so serious. That they're like they kind of go over and whisper. Right? It, it almost feels like cartoonish. Right? That you're watching the bad guys go over in the corner and go, "Okay, that was a good question." Um, Okay if we say if we say it's not from heaven, the people believe it is, and they're going to kill us. We don't want that right like we don't want to die for this um, all right, but if we say if we say it's not from heaven right they're going to kill us. If we say it is from heaven, then he's going to say, then why don't you believe him? Because what does John the Baptist said about Jesus in John chapter one written by the Apostle John, about Jesus and John the Baptist here, uh, beginning in verse 29. I want you to hear what John the Baptist says early in his ministry about Jesus. And the next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him But for this purpose I came, baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptized with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So this has been John's testimony, right? And John has now been killed, right, by Herod. And so he asked them, hey, so was John a prophet or not? People believe he was a prophet. What do you say? And, and, and so they're literally having this conversation, and Jesus is asking them a yes-no question. Do you have faith or not? Was he, was he from God or not? Yes or no? Yes or no? And out of their fear for the people, they come out of their huddle with a very political no comment. Right? Like we, we see this today. Right? When you know someone is caught and they're trapped and they don't know what to say, what is their response? No comment. Which is a comment. And here they are saying, we don't want to answer this question. And so you can imagine their blood is blood boiling. They are seething. He has wiped, right, cleansed the temple. Here He is teaching. They try to trap Him. They walk away humiliated and embarrassed. They want Him dead. They are angry because He is taking away what they have held precious. And it isn't God. And so we have then another moment of tension. Verse 8, And Jesus said to them, So neither will I tell you, by what authority I do these things. And he's kind of singled out the leadership. And look at verse 9. And so the crowd is there because he's been teaching. They walk up and interrupt. They don't, they're not pleased with the answer they get. So then he turns, right, as they're still standing there, and begins to address the crowd who was, was listening and hanging on every word. And he began to tell the people a parable. And he tells this parable about a man who had a vineyard and he rents it out to some tenants and when it's time for a harvest, he sends his servants to bring back some fruit. And they beat his servants up. And so then this process is repeated with two more servants eventually sending his son, thinking they won't disrespect him. So what are we in this parable here? What What is happening? In Isaiah 5, we're told right that, that the vineyard, and we see this imagery throughout the Old Testament, is a, is a depiction of Israel. That God has planted a vineyard. Has planted his promise on a people, and so the vineyard imagery is of the nation of Israel. Listen to this just briefly. This is Isaiah 5 1 through 7. He says, Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill, and he just begins to describe like building a vineyard in what feels like very normal terms. But then listen to this, verse 7. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold an outcry. Right? We're told Israel is the vineyard. And so in this parable, he's saying, I have a vineyard, it's Israel. The tenants, those who are the, the renters of it, are the leadership of Israel. The servants who come on behalf of the owner are the prophets of the Old Testament who were repeatedly killed and not believed and not trusted and beaten and ignored. And they, He sent them consistently and regularly looking for fruit. And what's the fruit? It's obedience. It's a trust and a dependence upon the character of of God who has rescued them, that then would allow them in their faithfulness to the one true God to be a light to the nations that would then draw the Gentiles to the Gentiles to the temple so that the whole world would be filled with the glory of God. And he's like, so Israel, you haven't produced fruit, and your leadership continues to kill the one sent by God to remind them of the character of God and what He expects and asks for from them. And then he says, listen, the owner after all of this goes, what should I do? In verse 13, I know. I'll send my beloved son. I'll send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. This parable is about Jesus. And Jesus is now saying, see, I'm here. The son has been sent. And so what are the tenants going to do? And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. You hear what Jesus is saying? He's saying, "I know what you're going to do. Your plan not so sneaky. It's known. Like I, you, you are these people. This is what you're doing." He is predicting his own death, and then he shows that death isn't going to thwart him. He says, "Because what will the owner do? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard." others. And when they heard this, they said, surely not. So you can imagine he's over here, and he's teaching the crowd that came to listen to him, and the leadership's over here, and they hear this parable and they're like, surely not. Hold on a second. Wait a second, Jesus. If you go down to verse 19. Because the scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them. They were very clever, right? Like it's not like he's not being super subtle here. He's like, you're going to kill the son, and then you're going to be judged. And they're like, ah, is he talking about us? I think he's talking about us, right? And you can see then why this would re- lead to a sham trial, why you, why it would lead to mocking and humiliation, all in the cover of darkness. Why they would want to silence once and for all. This one. that so They are enraged. And you can see why the tension and the conflict has built to this point. Look at verse 17. So when they yell out, surely not, he turns and he looks directly at them. And he quotes from Psalm 118, verse 22. He says, Why then is this that is written, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? cornerstone here is where two walls come together. It carries a lot of weight. What Jesus is saying is where the Jews and the Gentiles are going to be secured in the foundation of what God is doing. is going to be through me. It's going to be through me. I, I am that cornerstone, and you have rejected me, and God's plan is not thwarted. And then he continues with verse 18, and everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush them. Saying, that there's judgment if you don't see me right. If you don't submit to me, if you are the one who rejects me, there is judgment. But the one who receives right, he becomes the cornerstone that bridges these two things together and builds the church of God. And so they shift tactics. And they're like, okay, this has not gone well for us. And they look for spies. They look for someone that they can go and say, okay, we're going to kind of feed you some information. Let's see if we can trap him and turn the crowd that's for him and hanging on his words that are marveling. Let's see if we can turn them against him. Right? And so it says then um, in verse uh, 20, So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something he said. And they actually then speak truth. Listen to what they say. Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly. That's true. That you show no partiality. That is true. That you truly teach the way of God. Amen. Right? Like they are saying right and true things, but it is insincere. If you want a definition of hypocrisy, this is it. It is believing or saying true things, but not acting upon them. And so it's when, right, I look at your sin and I judge it when I'm doing the same thing. Like, your sin actually is sin. It's true. But if I'm living in an insincere fashion, it is hypocrisy because I'm using my religious look to pretend like I don't have sin. Here they are saying true things, but with no belief, with no sincerity about it at all. It is absolute hypocrisy. And the question they ask is, hey, should we, should we pay taxes to Rome? And here's their hope. If Jesus says, yes, you should pay taxes, many in the crowd are hoping his appearance actually means that Rome's about to go away. And if he says, yes, pay taxes, then maybe he's not the Messiah because Rome's still going to be over us and they're going to be turned against him and be angry that he is not angry at Rome. But if he says, no, man, don't pay taxes, then they can go over to to Rome and say, Hey, Rome, this guy, he's telling us not to pay taxes. I mean, we, we hate to turn him in. Really, we feel really awful about it. But, I mean, we're for you, I don't what what he wants to say. Right, they're hoping to trap him in this. Thinking, he, he has to answer yes or no. He can't get away with it. Right, we've got him here, and we're going to do it in front of the crowd so that the crowds hear it. And Jesus then says, do you have a coin? And one of them pulls it out. Right? Like, do you notice how ironic it is that they're like, oh yeah, I've got one. right? What are they doing? They're paying taxes. Right? Like they're, they're, they're already doing it. They're already living under the system. Yeah, yeah, I've got one. And on it, right, the Rome has stamped it, right? calling Caesar the Son of God. How ironic it is that the Son of God is looking at someone who would claim to be the Son of God? It's a trinket. He's like, Who's, who's on this? They're like, Caesar. He's like, Then give Caesar whatever Caesar. And give to God what is God's. And who, where has he put his image? But on us. He's saying, If, if, if Caesar wants this, give it to him. I don't care. I'm not, I'm not threatened by Rome. But you render to God what is God. And God has, has creation. And He has placed His image upon every man, woman, and child who's ever existed. So He's saying, give your life to God. Right? He is continuing to preach hope and rescue and joy here. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch Him in what He said, but they marveled at His answer and finally became silent listen the conflict isn't done we're actually going to get into more of it next week but we see how this is leading to desperate times and as we look at this it feels absurd right if you, if you look at verse 14 when the tenants in the parable saw him they said to himself this is the heir let us kill him so the, the inheritance may be ours like that's an absurd plan Hey, not let's kill the owner, let's kill his son, and maybe he'll just like, we'll get squatter's rights or something. It's an absurd plan. And we can laugh and, and, and maybe even join in in wanting to mock them for their foolishness until we realize that our own rebellion is absurd. And we have a generous and gracious and loving God who has revealed Himself to us, and we are often saying, not you. Not you. My plan's better. I'll be the Lord of my life. I don't want you. I'll, I'll actually be an open rebellion for you. And so we have to, to be reminded this morning of this, that indifference to Jesus is a choice. It is a decision of saying, I don't choose you. Like I, I'm actually opposed to you. And then there are those who are outright rebellious, and we see that they're dashed against the stone, that judgment will eventually come. But here's where a lot of us probably would be this morning. We actually know enough not to say anything kind of insincere about Jesus. We actually say the true thing. But there may be insincerity in our heart. That we're more like the spies who come and we're like, Jesus, you're awesome, I belong to you, you're good. Everyone see that I'm a Christian? And our heart has not submitted to it. That we're far more likely to be in opposition to Him that is pretty and religious, then we are right to be in outright rebellion. We see folks in our culture who are in outright rebellion to God. They're glad to call Him enemy. But there's also an enemy that will give lip service to Him, who will attempt to use Him for their gain and not follow Him. That lack obedience, that lack worship, that lack allegiance to Him. And so we'll say things like, you can't judge me. I love Jesus, right? But you're we're insincere in it. Or my God wouldn't ask me to, right? Instead of saying, "What, what do you mean, my God?" What God has said is sufficient. We can begin to twist and distort things into saying, "Ah, when if he if he presses on my life, it, it's he must understand." And so I'm just going to change this a little bit. I still want him, but I'm going to do my thing. And we are in. Opposition, we are in rebellion to Him. And when opposition and rebellion meet, the original intent gets broken. In the garden, we were meant to walk with God. And when Adam and Eve chose not to listen to Him, when they rebelled against Him, they were covered in shame. They knew it immediately. They didn't need God to come and say, ah, you've sinned. They knew it and looked to cover their bodies. The temple has not been meeting its original intent and in being a light to the nations as people come and worship and sacrifice. It's missed its original intent. Folks, maybe, maybe this will connect it for us. I want you to imagine someone who needs justice. Like real justice. And they go to the courts and they don't find it how enraged you can feel when it's like, it's clear. It is a clear case. Why is there no justice? Right? When someone goes to a hospital or a doctor for healing and they find brokenness, right? The, The person actually hurts them more and not accidentally, but intentionally. Right? When you begin to imagine a place not living up to its original intent. Right? When the police don't provide security, right? They're the ones who provide pain. Right? When we begin to look at these situations, we can now imagine right, why Jesus would come in and say, this isn't what this place is meant to be. And starts wanting to turn over tables and throw folks out saying, this is a house of prayer. We fill that with the courts. And we can fill it with education. And we can fill it with police. And we can fill it with politics. And we can fill it with the church. Because the church is meant to be a place where people come and are safe and belong and hear truth. And when any institution doesn't do that, when we live in rebellion opposed to what God's original intent is, then people are hurt. And it's natural for them to want to rage against it and say that's not it was supposed to be health, it was supposed to be belonging, it was supposed to be hope, it was supposed to be peace, it was supposed to be justice. And those things aren't found. I got the opposite of it. Where do we turn? Where do we turn? when it becomes degraded and misused, we understand then Jesus' response to cleansing the temple. So the call upon the church this morning, the call upon every individual believer this morning to be an image bearer, it's to render to God what is God's and what is God's us. Our very existence, our very life. That we then live in light of what Jesus has called us to through His Word. Of faithfulness and of obedience and of trust and of dependence. Realizing that He is going to take the shame that is the sin, the brokenness that has separated us. The rebellion. He's going to pay for it. And He's going to bring us back to the Father. It's what He has been promising all throughout Luke why He's going to go to the cross, is so that we aren't the ones who are dashed upon the cornerstone, but that we are brought in to sit at the table. That is what God is doing. And so as we look at the opposition, and we can quickly make the Pharisees like kind of a cartoon villain, that we would be honest enough to know that that's in our heart as well. Until Jesus gives us a new one until he takes that cold and stony heart of sin that says, right, it's like elbowing Jesus, like, get out, it's my throne, mine, right? He says, no, I will gladly bend the knee and submit to you. You are my king, and I will worship you and show allegiance to you through all of my life. And so it's why worship doesn't just happen on Sunday morning. It's how we spend our money. It's how we treat our children. It's how we treat our neighbors. And it's how we treat foreigners, and it's how we handle um, relationships at work and in family, right? Like, it affects every iota of life because we're either saying, God, you've given us direction and a call to obedience to image you, or I'm going to do it my way. So this morning, as we end, the question that we're asking for the Spirit is, have I bent a knee to Jesus? Am I rightly imaging Him through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the resurrected Jesus, through His Word and through His people? And so we're going to take the Lord's Supper here in a moment. And the Lord's Supper is for those who have submitted to Jesus. That's what salvation is, that they have submitted the throne of their life to Him. And they are following Him back to the Father. And if there is opposition and rebellion in you towards Jesus, then you would be asked to avoid taking the cup this morning. Because the cup is for those who trust that Jesus' life and death and resurrection is on their behalf. That His blood was spilt so that yours as a rebel wasn't. That His body was crushed so that yours as a rebel wasn't. And that He has secured for you what you cannot secure for yourself. That is peace with God seat at the table where the cornerstone is what has joined us with him and where we belong the band is going to come and we're going to sing to our king, we're going to ask for the word and the spirit to do what only it can do, to root out in us so if you need someone to talk to to pray with, there will be some folks in the back of the room to do that, but would you let the word of God and the spirit of God minister to you this morning, let's pray Father, would you you keep us um, from believing that we are so far different than the Pharisees? Lord, would you remind us that we were all, either currently are or once were, rebels? That we have needed your life and your death and your resurrection to rescue us and so that we would give You worship and praise this morning for being our rightful King. Father, if there are places where we would look to, to ignore You, that we would look to oppose You, that we would look to be hypocrites or insincere, God, that we would own it and confess it and repent of it and know that it is in Your kindness that You lead us to repentance, that You meet us with grace and forgiveness, Lord, that we don't have to be rebels. We don't have to be ashamed. We don't have to be alone or apart from You any longer. That You have done what we've needed and You have offered rescue. And so would we gladly take it. Would we marvel at You and hang on Your words and trust You? Father, would You speak to Your people this morning? We're listening. In Jesus' name, Amen.